Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Support WrestleTalk! Give us a subscribe. Hey everybody, I'm John Cena. Hey, it's professional wrestler Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Hey, I'm Double J Jeff here. And this is Rich Swan, Matt Riddle, the King of Rose. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Do it, bro. Support Ollie. Support Luke. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Home of Luke Owen. Whatever Wrestle Talk is, and whoever Luke Owen is, both the Ravens. Never more. Wrestle Talk. Hello and welcome to the WrestleTalk podcast. I am Luke Owen, back on the WrestleTalk magazine show on a Friday, but I'm not joined by Denise Salcedo. I am joined by the voice of British wrestling, Dave Bradshaw. Dave, how are you? Hello, Luke. I'm very well. Good, good. Well, I mean, let's dive straight into the uh, the episode because we've got a big, big topic to talk about here. A fantastic article that Dave has written in the WrestleTalk magazine. So we're going to dive into that right now. long time uh since you and i have had a a, a proper chat really it was probably at that <laughs> replicate show where you drove me back home yeah i mean there has a, a, i haven't done a, a live show for about a year obviously yeah so uh so yeah i mean most of the people i normally get to socialize with regularly in wrestling uh, uh, it's been a little bit uh dry hasn't it a little bit thin on <laughs> the past 12 months but here we are here we are, but we'll do it this way instead. Uh, but we've got you on the show this week because uh, the latest issue of the Russell Talk magazine uh, is now out, which unfortunately, if this was a professional scenario, I'd have a copy of it here that I could show and be like, go buy the copy of the Russell Talk magazine. But I haven't had my copy yet, so uh, I can't that, do that. That's how hot off the press it is. <laughs> exactly. Literally, yeah. it was yesterday it came out, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I don't know if it will have even landed on everyone's doorsteps yet, depending on the uh, on the postal service. But exactly, yeah. I'll probably get my. I mean, I'm in Kent now, so I'll probably get mine in two weeks' time. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so the uh, latest issue of the Rust Talk magazine is out, and as always, you have got a fantastic article in there. But this one's a particularly special one because um, it's talking about um, LGBT, LGBTQ um, sort of. I don't want to use the word issues within wrestling because actually it's a very positive article. Um, I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's a weird article to write because it's, it's sort of got two different messages in it. One of them is that the history of how LGBTQ uh, characters in wrestling have been represented through most of wrestling's history, at least has been fairly appalling. Um, not so much, you know, things have been getting better in the last 10 years or so, but, but on the flip side of that, oddly, the way that LGBTQ performers have been treated in wrestling, not always, not across the board, but sometimes has actually been quite far ahead of the curve. You know, it's been like, um, someone like Pat Patterson, who, you know, who's, who's death partly inspired me to write the article. Um, I think it's quite a remarkable story that you know when he's performing in the 60s 70s whatever that, that he's like basically everyone it wasn't you know openly talked about but it, it was known that, that he was gay and he was for the most part pretty well accepted you know and I don't think he would have enjoyed that um same level of acceptance same level of support in you know an NFL locker room at the time or a English football locker room or you know any of the other kind of major sports at that time so I, I find it kind of fascinating that there was a, a real there's there's a kind of a disconnect between how how wrestling portray has portrayed to its audience what it thinks of lgbtq people versus how it actually treats them 
behind the scenes. And then mostly I want to say that the article I think has, I hope has a positive message because I want, it, it, at the end I'm sort of talking about how things have got a lot better in the last, in the last 10 years and how, you know, there's really never been a better time to join a, an inclusive community like the uh, community we have as wrestling fans and people who work in the business. Yeah, it, it is. A, it has got a really positive tone to it. Uh, it is. A, it's a. It's a brilliant read um, uh, because it. You do kind of go through the, the sort of the history of um, gay characters being portrayed. You know, you go through from Gorgeous George uh, into uh, Goldust, and you know Billy and Chuck, and and things like that. And like, and I think it is. It's important to not shy away from how wrestling has portrayed. Um, lgbtq characters in the past um but it does have a very positive message at the end which is like hey do you know what like you know pride festival has got we've got pride wrestling now and that's like that's really really great stuff and we're doing some amazing work over here yeah so so in both sort of both sides of the atlantic the us and the uk there's now um particularly on the independent scene there's a sort of a, a much more visible um you know lgbtq element if you like um yeah, over here, there's a company called Pride Pro Wrestling, and I managed to interview one of their stars, Reese Ryan, in, in the uh, article. They're, you know, COVID permitting, they're hoping to uh, have their debut show at London's Pride Festival this summer, as you say. Um, over in the US, there's been, you know, several uh, stars of the indie scene who are similarly, who, who are who are openly LGBTQ. You know, there's a guy called Effie who has something called his Big Brunch, which he did as part of... Mm -hmm. GCW's collective, which would have been part of WrestleMania weekend last year, but ended up happening in, I'm not sure, I think September or something. So yeah. So the independent scene, as is so often the case, is is the most kind of progressive, I, I guess. But I, you know, to be fair, I think I think WWE and and uh, AEW and, and you know a lot of the sort of bigger, well, more well known companies have also been much better in the past. You know several years I, I think really a turning point was probably when Darren Young um, came out in in 2013 and the um, positive response that WWE clearly had to that you know um, I know that uh, Darren Young Fred Ross is his real name he, he talked about how um, you know Stephanie and, and Triple H embraced him and how Vince McMahon took 20 minutes to talk to him because this was all happening over SummerSlam weekend of uh, of 2013 and, and I think that um, that sort of, in a way, it's not surprising though, right? Because that's how Pat Patterson was always treated. You know, it, it, it's the fact that that people would be accepted behind the scenes like that is is great. What I think was a turning point with with Darren Young is that there was no um, attempt to use his sexuality and his character in a in a negative or like ridiculing way, like. Um, for example, when um, you know, a few years earlier, Orlando Jordan wanted to do a bisexual gimmick, um, and eventually he did do it in TNA. But it was—I it, don't know whether it was by desire, by his choice, or whether this was what was imposed on him by creative. But it ended up being very kind of um, um, sort of com comical, kind of spoof, almost ridiculous, you know, in, in its in its tone. Yeah, I felt like they were trying to like they were trying to tread a line. Uh, and they were, you know, they were very much trying to be like, uh, Orlando Jordan is bisexual. He has a male and he has a female lover. But they were also kind of like, you know, at the whim of Spike as a TV network who weren't comfortable with it. So they kind of like, so like you could feel like Mike Tanay and Don West like tripping over themselves to kind of explain the gimmick to the audience while not sort of saying the, the sort of the verbiage that it needs to be done in order to, to kind of get it across. So we're kind of like, it never... It, I felt like the the intent behind it was good, but the presentation never particularly worked. Yeah, and it's and that again is typical though of how LGBTQ characters are or have been presented throughout wrestling history. There's it's like uh, I, I I called one of the sections of the article, you know, don't say the G word, right? Because yeah. because for some reason, you know, it was never okay, even when a character was obviously stereotypically you know, gay cliche to never to ever say the word gay. You know, like gold dust was always bizarre. Like um, George, who started it all really in the 1950s, he was, you know, he was uh, flamboyant, you know, and then you've got uh, Adrian Street in the 80s who's uh, or 70s who's uh, um, 
exotic, you know. Um, so like there's all these sort of uh, w adjectives that kind of offer a, a wink and a nod to, you know what we mean by... <laughs> but it's like, well, yes, we do. So why don't, you know, but that that was how not just wrestling, but, but entertainment was, I think, um, you know, at that time. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like you talk about um, the, the the story that I found sort of most interesting in the article, aside from the Billy and Chuck thing, which I've always thought was really interesting because like, WWE sort of like accidentally found themselves. Like I think Billy and Chuck were like labeled as the accidental crusaders. Um, yeah, in the, in the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like so, like that was a that was a huge deal for them. And like WWE, like were kind of quick to, to capitalize on this and even got themselves involved with Glad. But it, it kind of sort of blew up in their face, really, because in the end, when they did the the the, the wedding ceremony, it was just Billy and Chuck revealed, oh, no, it was just a publicity stunt that's gone out of hand. Now we're going to get beaten up by three minute warning. And like you had this, but also on Raw, like the exact same products, you had the, the hot lesbian action with yeah. Eric Bischoff also being beaten up by three minute warning. Yeah, no, I mean, I laugh because I mean, like, I don't, you know, I don't want to say I think Glad were a little bit naive at the time yeah. about what the WWE product was, you know, like the fact that they thought that that was all going to end in, you know, that the billion chapter yeah. yeah. was going to end in, in a uh, kind of, uh, you know, a sort of tasteful, <laughs> respectable way. Like, yeah. Given exactly what happened on, yeah, the previous week's Raw, or as you say, they were, you know, uh, to counter what, uh, what, you know, Stephanie was offering on SmackDown. Stephanie was um, was SmackDown GM then. You know, and and Bischoff was saying, "Oh, this whole billion Chuck thing's a publicity stunt." So I'm going to do a publicity stunt of my own. So uh, tonight on uh, tonight on Raw, we're going to have the uh, hot lesbian action. He he called it, <laughs> and then like, yeah, you know, he had two uh, two you know, attractive young women in the ring, sort of uh, starting to to make out, and then and then yeah, had two super heavyweight wrestlers, a big male tag team come and you know really badly beat them up yeah like, okay well, well great and <laughs> six days later however many days later it was the, the billion chuck wedding thing happens and and somehow no one had picked up on the on the the clues but um yeah it was it that that autumn of 2002 i don't think uh anyone in hindsight would say was wwe's finest hour yeah, I think glad for them quite quickly to just sort of like distance themselves away from it and and be like, oops, that was an error on our part as well. Like I think you're right, like to say that they were probably perhaps naive uh, to kind of get in bed with them at that point. Yeah, I think you know because and it wasn't just the Billy and Chuck storyline either. It's like it's again much like how don't say the G word. You know, it, there was a whole thing about you can't be um, it, it can't be obvious that you're gay as a character and you be a babyface. You know, that was a historic thing. Like, it, again, starts with Gorgeous George. He uses his kind of femininity and his sort of, uh, you know, not not being a quote-unquote real man to get heat from the crowd, from particularly from the men in the crowd. You know, and that goes through to the Gold Dust. Gold Dust starts as a heel in the in the nineties. You know, and his his uh, again bizarre. You know, and his his sort of sexuality is uh, is winked at. Uh, he's got he's got a female manager, his director called Marlena, but he's very much a a, a heel, you know. And then it's only when he wants to turn babyface because the crowd are starting to cheer him. At that point, it was deemed necessary to to say to have it, you know, made clear. Oh no, I'm straight. Marlena's my wife. You know, yeah. they did it in in a fairly uh, uh, brutal way by having Jerry Lawler uh, verbally. Uh, attack Goldust in a kind of homophobic way, and then um, you know, and then and then he defends his wife's honor, and so it's like I think I describe it in the article as like a, a reverse coming out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to be a babyface at that period, and again, not just in WWF, but like you know, if you want to be a babyface anywhere in wrestling during that period, then you <laughs> you have to make it absolutely clear that you're a real man and that you like women, you know. Yeah. And it's with Billy and Chuck, you know, they were starting to get popular, and it was only when, you know, and suddenly it was like, okay, well, if you're going to be baby faces, it felt like they sort of had to make clear at this, you know, supposed wedding that they were going to be 
you know, that they, oh, no, no, we're straight. Yeah. Okay, well, does that mean being gay is inevitably a bad thing, a heel thing? You know, it, it's, um, I, I find it quite, uh, looking back now, I find it quite a, uh, uh, a kind of upsetting message. Mm, yeah. And it's the same with the, you talk about the ROH, uh, the very first ROH show. Um, which has sort of like a very, very similar, not not, not similar, but like it, it, a similar message that comes off the back of that, which is they have this very uh, flamboyant, openly gay uh, a, a tag team coming out to portray gay characters. But you've got the commentary team, both commentators, the play-by-play and color, talking about how this is disgusting and like we don't want this on this show. Oh, I wish, well, I wish you please. Because like the crowd start chanting, I mean, I'm not going to say the word, start chanting the F word at them. And you've got the lead commentator being like, oh, if I wasn't contractually obliged uh, not to, I'd be joining in with this. And it is like, it is, it's, it's quite shocking, really. It's a bit of, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poor blemish on their, on sort of their history. Yeah. And again, you know, nothing against Ring of Honor nowadays, you know, this is 19 years ago and, and the management has changed and, and whatever. Maybe. But I mean, the very first, uh, very first angle, very first segment in Ring of Honor history was was, and I've said it again in the article, but it's the, wor- it's the worst thing I've ever seen on a wrestling show because whatever you think of, you know, WWF and other companies doing that kind of wink and a nod to, to uh, if a character is gay or not, well, Ring of Honor certainly took it further in that segment because they openly say that these guys are gay. You know, it's a very flamboyant, over-the-top camp kind of tag team, but that campness, that flamboyant, Flamboyance, that, that fact that they're gay is used as a reason to sort of, you know, really to incite violence against them. Mm. And, and what, so what happens is they come out and they, they talk about how they're going to change the name of Ring of Honor to Ring of Homosexuals. And then they sort of start, I think they start kissing, you know, and, and as you say, it's not just the, we were talking about this yesterday, right? You know, when we were discussing what, what we're going to do on the podcast today, but it, it's not just the color commentator who does it. You know, I'm a play-by-play commentator. That's what I do in in wrestling. And I sort of think that, you know, the play-by-play, the, the Jim Ross, the Gorilla Monsoon, the um, the Michael Cole, you know, is supposed to be, I know, I know Michael Cole had a brief run, but in general, like the play-by-play commentator is sort of the, the this will sound really pretentious, but it's like the moral voice of the viewer. You know, so what the, you know, so when I'm doing play-by-play, I get outraged if a heel uses a steel chair. Mm-hmm. All right. So if the play-by-play guy is saying something is wrong, you know, the, then that's what the program is telling the viewers to believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so to have not only a heel tag team uh, come and, well, I suppose they were baby faces in that crowd because the crowd were cheering them on, you know, to have a tag team come and beat up two guys just for being gay while you've got both commentators uh, essentially saying, yeah, they deserve this. They should, they should, keep this to themselves when no one can see it. And yeah, the F word is being chanted and the, and the commentators are endorsing it. I mean, I think it's, it's, it genuinely, you know, you could make a case that it would go as far as inciting violence against gay people. Like yeah. it was that bad. And, and obviously they, they know that because, you know, in, if you go on ring of honors demand service nowadays, wisely, they have uh, edited that whole first segment out of, out of, uh, you know, the, the on demand and, I can't find footage of it now anywhere on the internet. I don't think really like, and so it's, um, it's something they obviously are not proud of and rightly so they shouldn't be. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, a thing that for a lot of people who were maybe struggling with their sexuality at that time, um, it, uh, it would have been really hard to see that because that yeah. would have, would have sort of um, reinforced any feelings they had that, that if they are gay and that's what they're trying to figure out about themselves, that that's, um, that that's somehow not only wrong, but like dangerous and could get them beaten up. The other uh, uh, part of it that I found really, really interesting, um, which I was going to mention earlier is that it's the tragic tale of Chris Canyon, who was a, uh, he was a gay man and he kept it very quiet. He kept it very personal to himself. Um, I, I think some wrestlers have, you know, they've said that, there was always this sort of inkling because he was never interested in girls when we were on the road and, and things like that. But he kind of did keep it to himself. In the end, he did want to sort of 
come out and portray and be a the the world like you know the world's first openly gay character but it's you know wwe had their version of that which was to do the is to do the wrist it's to do the uh, to sort of up the campness of it i suppose and it kind of the, the way that you you talk about it because he eventually does it on the indie scene but it doesn't it just sort of didn't quite work because people weren't sure if he was talking about himself or the character of chris canyon yeah i mean there's a lot of dispute about chris canyon because um he he was um you know unique guy in terms of his personality and and he later in life after he left wwe but um, before he died was was diagnosed with bipolar disorder uh and certainly i think most people who knew him would say that his behavior sometimes was kind of erratic you know mm. um and so um i'm sure those who you know would want to um sort of rebut his version of events uh in terms of what happened with wwe would say that um would say that well no he wasn't fired or whatever for being gay it was because he was you know wasn't reliable or he was uh or he just wasn't as talented as some of the other guys at that time when there was a really stacked roster you know at wwe um what he says is that you know he came over to wwe um you know after the wcw buyout in in 2001 um eventually wanted to do a kind of positive like gay character um, and was told uh, that basically there wasn't any interest in doing that. And then kind of out of the blue, in his mind at least, he was put in this segment on, I think it was on SmackDown, with uh, where he was, there was a, an ongoing feud between Undertaker and Big Show for the, you know, 1700th time. And, <laughs> and they, uh, Big Show left Undertaker, it's like the, the Valentine's Day edition of SmackDown, left the Undertaker a big kind of like phone box sized uh, present with a bow around it, like a box in the ring. Uh, and then so Undertaker goes, what's this? And undoes it. And it's a, a closet, essentially. And Chris Canyon, dressed up as Boy George, like smashes out of the closet. And, uh, you know, if you if you get the really subtle metaphor. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and starts singing, do you really want to hurt me? You know, and then... Uh, and the Undertaker does want to hurt him and beats him up, you know. <laughs> so, but, but it was just so random, like, in terms of how, you know, regardless of what the rumours were about Chris Canyon behind the scenes about his sexuality, like, viewers have never had any hint of that. It's like, why is Chris Canyon suddenly mm. jumping out of the closet dressed as, as Boy George? And, you know, Canyon, in his autobiography, says certainly that he he took that to be punishment for suggesting... A, a more positive gay character yeah you know, whether, that, whether that's what really happened like, i guess we'll never you know whether that was really the motivation we'll never know but what is certainly true is you know after, after that he was they didn't really do much else with him he was released from his contract the following year in 2004 um and then you know sadly he took his own life in 2010 uh but before that like you said he 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 had a little time on the independent scene and uh yeah he he kind of came out on a on a show an independent show kind of grabbed the microphone and declared chris canyon is a homosexual and then i think the crowd were like you know i don't know if they were confused i don't know if, i don't really know what the context was of how he said that but then i think he put out a statement afterwards that kind of backpedaled on it a little bit and mm. sort of out that it was like oh chris canyon the character is a homosexual you know <laughs> and it was like okay uh so is you know the real life chris canyon gay or what like uh and then he sort of, because it then became really kind of, the waters were really muddied, you know, he then had to kind of properly come out, if you like, <laughs> a second time, uh, by which everyone was so confused, they just didn't trust whether it was a work or not. So he did come out, but it was like, it was done in sort of a botched way. Um, yeah. And then, you know, because of his bipolar, I would guess, and, and whatever else, things spiralled for him. And, and uh, yeah, you know, he, he, he died at the age of, 40 in, in 2010. Yeah, so it was a, it was a tragic, oh man, that was, was a real tragic one, that. Um, the, the other thing that we talked about when we were on the phone, talk, uh, you know, sort of preparing for this show last night, is um, you, what you refer to as your your DVD extras, uh, which was <laughs> all the research that you'd done for the article. But because like, I mean, it's 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 a stacked old boy, this article. The, the, it's all the stuff that you couldn't get into it. Um, is, there, is there any like choice cuts uh, that you, you want to uh, bring to the table? Well, just just some more sort of 
you know, obviously I put the best stuff in the article. That's that's what I try to do. But like, there's um, just some, you know, more examples of things like the like the gold dust stuff. You know, I didn't mention his feud with Roddy Piper. Mm. Uh, uh, um, you know, which was for WrestleMania 12, right, where they had the Hollywood uh, backlot brawl. And, you know, again, this is in the middle of Goldust's heel run before he declares himself as straight. But um, but the interview that sets it up in, on on uh, on Raw was pretty horrendous. You know, you've got this, like, thing where Goldust has been trying to sort of get in his head, you know, um, and because uh, that's what they keep, that's what they keep referring to with Goldust during that time is like, maybe he's not, you know, really flamboyant. Maybe he's, maybe it's all mind games to give him an advantage over his opponents, you know, um, or whatever. And then they start this in-ring segment and Piper says uh, something along the lines of, what is your major malfunction, you fruitcake? <laughs> and then like, you know, the, the skit goes on and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then it ends up with, I think, uh, Piper decks him. And then says something like, you know, at WrestleMania, I'm going to make a man out of you. Mm. Okay. And then at the match itself, you know, there's this sort of uh, the kind of uh, slapstick comedy element once they once they finish doing their OJ Simpson impression with the car chase around LA, you know, they end up in the ring. And, uh, you know, gold, uh, gold dust gets stripped down by Piper, you know, because he wears that whole gold bodysuit that gets stripped off him. And he's sort of uh, wearing like a bra and panties, you know, like women's uh, women's underwear, and it, it's just like, yeah, okay, like you know, it's just again, it's just very like, I I, I was early teens at the time, I probably just thought, ah, oh, that's funny, but like you know, you look back at it now, and you're just kind of like, really, yeah, that's the best. Yeah, I know it was only, the, I know it was the '90s, but you think really, that's the best kind of comedy that that you know you, you could come up with, you know. So there's that, and then there's other things like. Um, I only put in a couple of, there's two LGBTQ wrestlers I spoke to for the article. Uh, and because of space, you know, I could only put in short quotes from uh, from both of them. But um, but I had really interesting, like, half-hour chats with, with both of them. Reese Ryan is one I mentioned already. He's still, you know, pretty young kid. I think he's early 20s still. Uh, he's going to be in this Pride Pro thing. But he talked, you know, extensively about um, about how he... Um, you know, didn't come out for a while while he was training because he wasn't sure how his how his colleagues, his peers would react. And then, and now he he'd been out in in the locker room, if you like, for a, a long time now. But but his character, he, he plays this kind of cool American kid, you know, um, isn't sort of uh, or hadn't been gay, you know, hadn't been referred to in any way as as gay. And he was sort of like he started to feel as though the character he was playing was like because the character he was playing was like the the cool kid he wishes he was in real life you know he's like well why would if i unless if i'm not ashamed of being gay why wouldn't my character be gay you know yeah. so uh so in the end he's in, only in the past year or two i think he's he's said that his character is you know is also gay um which for some people might they might think well who cares it's a fictional character you know but yeah but because it, it it reflects his journey as a as a person in sort of coming to terms with who he is so that's really interesting and then the other person i interviewed was uh ollie burns who who's been in british wrestling a long time he started training in about 2002 when he was still i think he was 12 when he started training uh and he's um over time you know he, he's through his teen years and whatever he was you know working out who he was and and realized that he wasn't straight at least he wasn't sure necessarily how he'd identify but he um at that time you know but he over time kind of um incorporated some more sort of um like um yeah so again i hate to use the word having mocked it but like flamboyant elements into his yeah totally yeah character you know started wearing a feather boa and, and that kind of stuff and and he's gradually transformed into the, the gimmick he portrays now and has done for several years, which is Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. You know, it's, it's mm. like uh, it's like a drag queen kind of um, thing, but it's really, you know, really cool and really, really confident and a really kind of positive character for him. You know, and so that's a, that's a really interesting story. But I think I put the quote in the article, actually, where he says one of the things I found really interesting about that is 
um, when he was when he had come out to people in the locker room, you know, like people weren't being mean, but I think they were maybe they would like joke about his sexuality, maybe just in, in their attempt to, you know, say it's okay. I, I don't know, but like he would sort of feel like he was the butt of a joke sometimes, mm. and so by becoming this over the top character, uh, he he kind of felt that he was making himself be in on the joke you yeah. know kind of embracing the joke so in a way it was like putting up kind of mental armor you know to say i'm not going to be hurt by these you know barbs that people are throwing at me because ah look i'm in on it yeah uh, so i said to him i said well is that you know even now now you've been doing the priscilla act for for however many years you know three or four years i think at least like do you still feel like it's just a mental armor or do you actively enjoy it? He says, no, no, I think, you know, he's kind of grown into the armor, you know, <laughs> how he actually <laughs> like enjoys portraying that character uh, and finds that it's a good way of educating kids as well. You know, like he, he does a lot of like, summer camps, working men's clubs. He's done shows at, you know, where the audiences are not those who would typically be very receptive to a, a man dressed as a woman. Um, but he's been able to have some really useful conversations. So his interview was really interesting. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you like quizzes? Do you like wrestling? Do you like watching self-professed experts in their fields being exposed as dangerous frauds? Then you'll love Quizzle Mania, brought to you by Parts Fun Known, the team behind acclaimed wrestling RPG No Rolls Barred. Join us every week as four wrestling pundits pit their knowledge against each other in a cerebral wrangle for prizes, glory, and a bit of good old-fashioned escapism. Enjoy the videos live every Wednesday on Parts Fun Known's YouTube channel, or subscribe right now to have them beam straight to your mobile device. Quizzlemania, it's the showcase of the Immorons.
But we said at the top of the show that the article does end on it. You know, it's a very positive note at the end of it. You know, and you and I were talking about this last night. The last 10 years or so in particular, sort of like for mainstream as well as the indies, it has been a much more inclusive, positive uh, outlook for LGBTQ uh, characters and performers. Um, and, you know, we, uh, Stephanie McMahon uh, did the interview saying, you know, promising that we're going to do more storylines within WWE. AEW uh, obviously signed Nyla Rose and she became the women's champion there uh, and have had Sonny Kiss on their roster as well as a, as a featured performer. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you kind of say like it, it's, a, it's a positive thing. Like, what do you think we can probably expect from the wrestling industry as we sort of move into the, the 2020s, I guess? Um, I mean, I think the... The, the way it's become positive for the most part is certainly, you know, outside of the Indies and in kind of the, the, the bigger companies is that um, being like someone being openly LGBTQ in their real life is now at least kind of acknowledged on, mm-hmm. uh, on, you know, television, like, you know, Nyla Rose, for example, or whatever has, has when they've done kind of video skits, introducing her to the, um, to the audience, you know, they, um, you know, there's that they they acknowledge, you know, like um, about her her own sort of personal life. Um, but it's so we've got to a point, I think, where being LGBTQ no longer uh, condemns you to a stereotyped gay character. Mm. Right, and you know, no longer condemns you to using your sexuality to try and get heel heat. Um, so nowadays, you've got, like you say, the one you listed, um, uh, Anthony Burns is another one in in AEW. Mm-hmm. You know, half of the acclaimed. He has a very successful YouTube channel with his boyfriend. Um, so there's a lot of like, there's a lot of characters where it's acknowledged that they're gay, but it's not really relevant to their character. And that's you know, that I'm not trying to little that at all i think that's huge i think that's a massive step in the right direction what we still don't have is like confidence i don't think from the major companies in putting out a storyline where a character's um sexuality like an lgbtq's character's sexuality is is involved in the storyline so you know you can have i'm not saying that wrestling is full of storylines about you know, romantic relationships anyway, but, but you do sometimes get relation, you know, you get storylines about uh, a male and female, right. And yeah. you would see, you would see a man, a woman kiss on wrestling television, potentially, you know, we still, I still don't feel like we're at the point where you would ever see, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I hope someone proves me wrong soon, but like where we would yeah. ever see two men kissing. You know? <laughs> I think WWE nearly went down this this road because they had sort of like teasers of something with Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose um, in sort of 2019, but they never quite pulled the trigger on it. And I, from a, um, I'm not going to call myself a wrestling journalist because I'm 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 not. I'm a I'm a wrestling commenter, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm just here on YouTube talking about my my thoughts on things. Um, but sort of like you know, I've been doing this for four years now uh, with Wrestle Talk, and uh, I would say that. A real positive thing for me in terms of like an audience reaction um, to that is last year. Well, actually, yeah, it was last year. Early last year, they did the Bobby Lashley Lana wedding angle, which was interrupted by the returning Liv Morgan. And Liv Morgan comes out and she's like, this wedding can't happen because Lana and I are lovers. And it never it, it didn't go it didn't go anywhere. Like it absolutely just sort of fell apart at the seams and they dropped it like, you know, the following week. But the reaction to that storyline was not one of like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did a, a lesbian storyline. How disgusting. It was more like, well, that was quite disgusting by WWE to try and make that a salacious thing. Yeah, like, it's a bit it's a bit Jerry Springer, you know. It's, like, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like, I mean, you yeah. said like earlier, like, oh, I, mean, I know it's the 90s, but, you know, is that the best you could do? Like, it did feel a bit 90s. There was a, a 90s vibe about it. And that was the feedback that we got on that the the review that we did of that show wasn't that like it's disgusting that wwe are trying to to do a storyline like that offends me personally it was more people being offended by like this is not the way to do it like it's it's 2020 it's time to like it's time to grow up a little bit yeah and and i mean i think um i would say as well that the 
not to say one has been better or worse than the other, but I think the experience of of gay men, say, in, in their representation in wrestling is different to the experience of gay women. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the case of gay men, as I said, I don't think there's ever... Well, please, uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's ever been a case of, like, two male characters kissing on screen. Mm-hmm. Right? Not that the kissing is the be-all and end-all, but you know what I mean? I'm just using it as, a, as an example. Uh, whereas with women, there certainly has. Like, the, the, the hot lesbian action with Eric Bischoff in 2002 featured two women making out but it was it was it wasn't because it wasn't done in a way that that you know in a sort of affirming the positivity of the relationship between those two women it was like oh look this is essentially almost like porn for the males in the audience you know yeah yeah. so it's like sort of uh women being sexual with each other has been presented on wrestling television before, but for but purely for the for the sort of satisfaction uh, of the males in the audience, whereas like men being sexual with each other has been like completely off limits. So they're yeah. they're, they're both neither of those is good. I'm not saying either of those is good, but they're but they're they're two different experiences, I think. Yeah, totally. Like I, I think that if I mean I can't think of any sort of examples off the top of my head, but the the times that I can remember like a male wrestler kissing another male res, uh, wrestler was done a to get heel heat or b to sort of like incite gay panic, where it's just like you know it's a, to make the other person be like, oh no, oh, don't don't do that. I'm not gay. You can't do that. That's and so yeah, I, I think you're right. Like it's not been done in a sort of a positive um portrayal but i do think that the wwe and like an aew in particular i think that we are heading to a period where that is going to become more commonplace and things i think wwe are they i think they, they feel like they want to do it but are almost like afraid to pull the trigger on it and just like and really go forward with it but i do think that sort of like in the the, the backstage machinations they do want to and I think it's the same for AEW as well. I think that they would like to to do this. And I think they, you know, they've sort of certainly shown that. But also they haven't reached a point where they're like, and now is a time where we're going to do this kind of storyline. Yeah, and I think I think wrestling reflects, you know, as always, what's going on in the wider world of show business and entertainment, right? So I don't mean, you know, my article is not intended to be bashing wrestling. You know, I'm a massive pro wrestling. Obviously, I work in wrestling. You know, like it's um, it's... I think it's important we're honest about the things that have not been good in the past, but they are, you know, to emphasize it, that they are far from unique to wrestling, right? You know, at the time when wrestling's only LGBTQ characters were negative stereotypes, the same was true in just about every soap opera, you know, just about every, every film, you know, that like it's always been the case. I think that the mainstream popular culture has, has had a particular way of of portraying LGBTQ people, and that has improved a lot in the past ten years in entertainment in general, just as it has just as it has in wrestling. So, in a sense, I'm I'm not defending it, but you can understand the reluctance, if there is reluctance, on the part of wrestling companies if they feel like their you know their bosses at the networks like who pay for their content. If they think rightly or wrongly that those network bosses are going to be uncomfortable with that kind of angle, um, then maybe that's why they don't they don't pull the trigger. So exactly, yeah, because the networks have got their own bosses that they need to appease to those being sponsors. So yeah, like a, a network doesn't want to piss off a sponsor that will like pull all of the money that they're they're giving to them for advertising because of something that a wrestling show is doing. Right, and I would expect, you know, I don't know, but I would expect in, in the cases of some networks that that is still a real uh, risk in, mm. you know, in the US especially where there's, you know, certain um, certain corporations that or certain financial backers that are uh, sort of deeply conservative in their religious views, you know, that then there may be a risk of losing some sponsors who feel that, I don't know, that, doing such a storyline would would be corrosive to American family values or something. You know, I don't, I don't know. So I, I can understand that there's pressures there. Um, so it's not just a case of the onus being, I'm not letting wrestling promoters or wrestling companies off the hook, but like it's not just, it's not just about them. You know, it has to be something that uh, a network executive is bold enough to, uh, to endorse as well. 
And I think we're getting there. You know, I think it's, um, like I say, the last 10, 12 years, whatever, has been dramatically better uh, and things have improved at a pace I would never have thought we would see. Um, but that's true in society as well. You know, the past 10, 15 years is when like gay marriage has been legalized. So as always, wrestling has kind of gone along with societal attitudes of the time. Like, you know, when wrestling was using LGBTQ characters uh, as heels to get heel heat, they, that's because on some level they knew if they presented characters as as being sort of, uh, or being implied as being gay, that significant swathes of the audience would be prepared to boo that, you know? Um, yeah. And that's not true anymore. So that's, or, or less true than it was. Um, and so that's that's a real positive change. So uh, the Rust Talk magazine uh, is out now uh, in stores. You can also order it online. Uh, RustTalkShop.com, I believe is the website. There's links to Wrestle, it for it. WrestleShop. WrestleShop. That's it. WrestleShop. Because we, yeah, we had a bit of an instant with WrestleTalkShop. I remember this now from last year. Yes, WrestleShop.com is now a place to go. There's links for it in the video description um, down below. Please do go and pick up your copy. It's a really, really um, great read. The, the other... Um, sort of big thing, I suppose, to, to come out from that article and sort of like, it's, it's something that you, you're using yourself as a way, it's a platform for you yourself to uh, to, to come out uh, um, and sort of like, you know, announce. I mean, you said that several of your family members and, and close friends already knew. We we spoke on the phone about this last night about like, what's sort of the the reaction been to uh, the people who've worked within the, in, or you work with in the industry um, uh, to that news? Yeah, I mean, um... I, my own struggles were, you know, were, I guess, typical on, on some level of, of uh, young people who are dealing with their sexuality, you know. And so I was, I was 18, 19 in 2002 when the Billion Chuck thing's happening, when the Ring of Honor thing's happening. And I was a confused kid trying to work out, you know, what, what I was doing. And I had serious mental health problems, you know, real anxiety issues about it for a couple of years, you know, and that's... Um, uh, that's one of the reasons I feel very, um, very strongly about it. Uh, I think the reason, as you say, I've, I've been out to my family and friends for uh, like most of my close friends, not all, um, for about, I don't know, 12 years, something like that, quite a long time, almost the entirety of the time I've been working in wrestling and, and including that time, you know, I, I came out to, uh, for, you know, four or five of my closest friends in wrestling at the time in sort of 2009-10 so when I'd been in the industry for a year or two um and I was wasn't sure whether to kind of go further in terms of being public about it um but I was sort of uh advised at the time and, and, pro and I don't uh, resent this at all I think quite possibly I was advised correctly that it was um that yeah maybe you should be a little bit sort of uh, cautious about who you tell because you wouldn't want it to, you know, to affect your bookings or your reputation. Because I was still new then, you know, so it was like, well, you don't want it to kind of uh, stamp out your career before it's it's got going, which is a shame that that was how it, things might have been, but, but, um, but correct. And then I went away from the industry for a while because I moved to the US to do a master's degree. And then, you know, I've been back for a few years and it's sort of like, it's felt like um, kind of unfinished business in my in my own you know in my own experience because I've kind of feel like I've been eighty or ninety percent out you know in the out to the most of the people who really matter, uh, but the wider sort of you know it's like on Facebook where you've got like you know a thousand friends whatever you have on Facebook and yeah, yeah. and there'll be a good probably majority of them who don't know because I've just never when does it come up you know. <laughs> bring it up and and I've sort of got to a point where where I felt from a personal perspective it's like you know what I think I have responsibility is too strong a word but like um I'm someone who's reached a point where they're comfortable with their sexuality um and I feel like the industry has changed as well and I kind of feel like if I can and I'm not trying to paint myself out as some trailblazer because there's been many many people over the past 10 years who did this when it was harder than, than it has been for me, you know, who did it when there were far less, far fewer people who'd already done it. Um, but if there's someone out there who wants to be a wrestling commentator or something, you know, and and can see that there are 
multiple people out there in the industry who are LGBTQ and have done that, then hopefully it makes, you know, the next kid who's confused or scared about their sexuality a little bit less, a uh, little bit less worried, you know? Mm. Uh, so, um, so that's why I felt like it's useful for me to do it. In terms of the article, I kind of felt like, well, if I'm going to be talking about this stuff, if I'm going to be saying, you know, how, how uh, damaging some of the things in the past have been and how, positive or optimistic the outlook now is then i think it's it's much more authentic if i'm saying that as someone who it directly affects rather than yeah. if people thought i was straight and it was like why is this you know straight guy telling yeah. lgbtq folks what to what just to... another another straight white guy just telling yeah. uh, people what he thinks so i kind of thought it was in terms of the article it made sense to to you know to to say that but also i feel like now that things have developed in the industry and stuff and and in my own life i feel like it's several years kind of overdue for me to just sort of be a bit more uh be a bit more open about it as well yeah and, and this isn't the only podcast um you're doing as well you've done one um with the bbc um do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well before we uh we wrap this up yeah i uh, spoke with the wonderful jack murley who's a, a bbc journalist who runs the lgbt sport podcast for the bbc um just did a, another interview with him recorded it earlier in the week i think that's coming out today as well actually so uh yes there's a uh, double day for you <laughs> double dose of me in podcast land if you're if you're interested um yeah so that's out today and you know again it's talking about the uh the article and and uh and my own experiences as well and and you know i, I just sort of feel like now to, to use a, an aew term i'm kind of all in now you know what i mean mm -hmm. Well, if I'm going to produce this article and 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 talk about my own life in a way I haven't before, then then let's try and get it to as wide an audience as possible in case it's useful to someone. You know, I don't know if the article will help anyone, but if it if it does, then um, then great. And that's really the reason to to write it ultimately because I think I think like I say, there was there was um, a time in my life where because of all the stereotypes and because of all the, um, not, again, not just in wrestling, but in show business in general, you know, I said this to you last night, right? But when I was like 17 yeah. and trying to figure it out, like there was, it's, it's, this sounds crazy to me now, 20 years later, but like I did not know it was possible to be gay and not be like a camp, like, uh, you know, caricature. Yeah. The, the, so the, the, the day all wins. Uh, uh... Yeah, you know, nothing against people who are camp, like, but but there's a good portion of people who are who are gay or who are figuring out if they're gay to whom the stereotypes of, of, of what a gay person is that were presented on television back then are do not fit your own sense of who you are. And mm -hmm. so a kid, like, or as an 18 year old or whatever, you know, you start, you're, or even earlier than that, you're having thoughts about the same sex rather than the opposite sex and it's like okay what does that mean and you would think you know, the obvious thing would be well if you're having sexual thoughts about the same sex you're probably gay right <laughs> right yeah. that, sounds, that sounds obvious but it's really not that simple when you're 18 particularly if you think well hang on though because gay people are this this thing that i see on tv you know yeah. like and that's a million miles removed from who I am you know when I was 17 18 I was I guess typically stereotypically masculine kid you know I watch football and drink beers with my friends and all that kind of stuff I'm like, well that's not me so mm -hmm. I can't be gay so I don't know what these thoughts mean and I'm confused and I don't really know where I fit into the world you know and mm -hmm. that um, that really caused me a lot of emotional distress you know over a number of years figuring that out uh, and so i think if the more kind of variety there can be in uh lgbtq characters you know some nothing wrong with camp effeminate characters as well but like if there's as long as there's a range and there's lots of positive examples of characters and real life people you know so that so that people who are struggling with that as they're as they're working it out can see Oh well, I can be. My sexuality 
is, is what it is. It doesn't define yeah. who I am in, in, in other ways. Then I think that's, um, you know, I think that's really useful. Well, I think we're going to draw this to a close here. Uh, we did, but we actually had plans to do the the usual Friday uh, magazine format of going through the mailbag, uh, the Patreon mailbag. But we've, um, yeah, we, we went way long on that on this chat, which has been brilliant. Like it's, um, you know, gone a good fifty minutes on just talking about this, which I'm I'm actually really happy to have done. So uh, we're going to save these mailbag questions. We'll put them in next week's episode um, when uh, Denise is back on the show. A few of the questions are for Denise anyway, so uh, it'll be. Uh, so I'd imagine people will probably want her to to get on that. So we'll get into those next week. Um, but thank you very much, Dave. Um, for coming onto the show. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here to, to talk about the article. Uh, again, WrestleTalk Magazine, it's available in shops now. It's available online, WrestleShop.com. Uh, it's a, a really, really good read. Um, are there any plugs that you'd like to give uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, as you say, I mean, the, the, the magazine's out in news agents now across the UK. And as you said, you can get it, an, if you want an electronic version instead, you can get it at WrestleShop. I think you can order a, a hard copy as well from WrestleShop.com. Mm-hmm. Um, their their Twitter is uh, at WrestleTalkMag. If you want to um, follow that, you know there's there's lots of uh, good stuff in there. Not just not just the article we've been talking about, and uh, there is every month, so that's really useful. My own social media, you can catch me on Twitter at Dave Bradshaw, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Dave Bradshaw eighty uh, three, and my website is www.davebradshaw.tv. And I hope that you and I can go to a show together again soon. Um... Yes, just, I hope, for, yes. just going to a show. Yeah, I hope anyone can go to a show again soon. That would be that would be wonderful. I, yeah, I'm I'm so like beyond desperate to get behind the commentary desk again. It's like you know that old saying, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like man, I never thought I'd hear about doing a live show, and now I'm like, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a the struggle is real. Yeah, and now that I've moved out of London as well, I won't ask you to drive me home. Although I didn't, I didn't like specifically <laughs> ask you to drive me home. We just ended up. You just drove me home. In the I end. was pleased too, Luke. I was delighted to. <laughs> So Dave, um, if, if people are, uh, might be, they, they might not know who you are. Uh, why don't you tell uh, our audience who a Dave Bradshaw is? <laughs> who Dave Bradshaw? <laughs> I, uh, I've been very fortunate that I've, I've been uh, able to do play-by-play commentary on a lot of uh, major British and European wrestling promotions on the independent scene for the past uh, 12 or 13 years. So I've been uh, had the, the front row seat for some of the see some of the great wrestlers of our of our era. I used to work for, among others, I used to work for What Culture Pro Wrestling, which became Defiant Wrestling. Um, more recently, I've been doing in the uk i've been doing frontline um wrestling and and uh, uh wrestlegate new generation wrestling so various independents um i'm about to when when uh things start up again there's a couple of new promotions i'm going to be working for they are, are called riot cabaret and wrestle circus so uh, oh, cool on those um and in, in uh on the continent <laughs> i do uh German Wrestling Federation, which is based in Berlin. They're, they're great guys. And uh, HCW, which is Hungarian Championship Wrestling in uh, in Budapest. Which actually, I would say, um, for anyone who's a fan of the independent scene but kind of sticks to the UK and the US, um, mainland Europe is, is becoming quite the hotbed for developing wrestling talent. They're, both those promotions I just mentioned, there's a lot of really exciting young young talent coming through. So uh, those those... Uh, two promotions and others I very strongly recommend. Um, when did you get into wrestling? Uh, what was like the the thing that got you into the sport? Um, I was like eight years old uh, and uh, went to my cousin's house and um, we were watching. So this was like, you know, revealing how old I am, but 91, I was eight years old. You can do the maths. And, uh, and UK Rampage 91 was on my cousin's house well they had it on video you know because they had sky and we didn't and um my auntie was uh much to my uncle's annoyance was uh, obsessed with the texas tornado kerry von Erich. <laughs> uh and so so my auntie was entirely happy for my cousin to be watching this wrestling event you know around the clock because then kerry von Erich was going to be on the television all the mm. time the first match i ever saw was kerry von Erich against ted dibiase which i think is it actually wasn't that great a match. It was like a count out win as well. But like uh, in terms of like a, an introduction to wrestling, I'm like, yeah, those are two good guys. Two good guys to add in your 
first match. And um, so yeah, '91, and uh, and then it was one of one of those things. I think a lot of wrestling fans have this have this kind of moment where they first see wrestling, and as a kid, and they're like, "What is this?" You know, and it kind of like captures your attention in a way that other stuff hasn't. Um, and then that's the moment that it's got you forever. Yeah. <laughs> you can't escape. Well, that was going to be a question, like because whenever I've had sort of like guests on the show, I always ask them this because I, I've uh, have gone through this myself. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to watch this anymore. I, I think I'm I'm done with wrestling now. Oh. And then like, and then wrestling has that moment where it pulls you back in. Yeah, all the time. Like with uh, <laughs> with like not not with wrestling as a whole, but like with you know, obviously like WWE is the main thing we most of us have grown up with, and you have your moments where you're like, where you're like, well, this is. Yeah, this is this is I don't like this anymore. You know, yeah. a particular angle's gone too far for you, or you know, or whatever. Um, but no, they always get you, don't they? They, they, always, they always get you back in. <laughs> I, I, the last, you know, I say the last few years I haven't been as into WWE as I as I once was. You know, but then but then sometimes they they like the Roman Reigns stuff in the past year, like you know, this Tribal Chief stuff with Jey Uso. I'm just like, man, that's incredible. <laughs> That's the best thing I've seen anywhere in wrestling for a few years, you know. And then um, uh, AEW is, I think, just so consistently brilliant, you know, week after week that it's like, well, okay, now I'm watching weekly wrestling again. So yeah, yeah it, it does come in, uh, you know, uh, dips and hills of how much you're interested. But um, but no, once you're in, I'm sorry, I, I hate to break it to anyone who. who <laughs> They're going to uh, wean themselves off of wrestling, but I'm sorry, you're here forever. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've always told the story. Like, I dropped out when Hogan wins the title in 2002 again off um, Undertaker, uh, off uh, Triple H rather. Like that was that was when I switched off. I was like, eh, you know, I, I'm done with this now. Yeah. Um, but then a few years later, I went to university, and my housemate was into wrestling, and he got uh, New Year's Revolution 2005 like on a, like a bootleg DVD he popped that on and all of a sudden I was like oh cool so I'm back into wrestling I guess then like mm -hmm. there, there was like there was no transition there was just like no. a set yeah, yeah. Like, I'm watching wrestling again and I haven't stopped since well I think you, it sounds like you did you know you did quite well to to get a few years in my case it's normally like a week you know <laughs> uh, I, I mean I remember yeah like the the uh, waves of popularity that wrestling had in in the uk among you know kids and whatever like when i was when i was eight or nine that kind of 91 92 period it had what i think was like the first big wave of wwf popularity mm -hmm. hogan and macho man and ultimate warrior and and that's when i got in and then it, you kind of then it you know as as tends to happen playgrounds move on to the next thing like yo-yos or pogs or whatever it, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it was uh and then wrestling didn't become cool again until about yeah, 98, you know, Attitude Era, Stone Cold and The Rock. But I was one of those people who was there in the dry years, you know, like mm -hmm. in, in uh, 94, 95, I'm still like, yeah, wrestling, man. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else in the playground is like, whoa, what year is yeah. it? You know, <laughs> so. Um, you said you got, what did you do your master's in? Um, I, both my undergrad and my master's are in politics, uh, which helps in a wrestling locker room. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it was, but yeah, I did my uh, my undergrad. I did in the UK, but my master's degree I did uh, at University of Florida, which is um, in Gainesville, in kind of north central Florida, like a, an hour, only an hour from Jacksonville. It's annoying. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, you now I could have uh, been going to AEW every. I've been to the Jacksonville Stadium a few times, you know. So uh, if I was there now, I would be uh, I would be driving over to Jacksonville every week. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, right. Lastly, before I let you get on, what do you got planned for the weekend? Do you know what I for Christmas? I got uh, this. Is, this is, I wish I had more exciting plans, but I guess this is excusable in, in lockdown. For Christmas, uh, my brother got me Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, oh, cool! Yeah, PS4. Uh, I know that's not the. I know there's an even newer one now, but um, but I'm like 20 hours in, and there is an evil cult trying to. Uh, take over ancient Greece. And so I'm going to try and stop them. <laughs> I mean, you say like it's, it's a dull plan, but I mean, it's, you make it sound very fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I might not survive the weekend, but um, hey. <laughs> you know, I'll, go, I'll go down fighting. 
Uh, well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, the podcast this week. I hope we get to do this again. Uh, and as I said at the end of the show as well, I hope that we can go to some wrestling shows soon. Oh, like, uh, I, you know what? I never, I never forget your face. We were at the uh, the WrestleGate show where Hangman Page, Hangman Page, everyone came out and fought Pack. You know, the week the week or two before the first AEW show. And uh, yeah, I still, I still have it <laughs> on my mind. The look of the look of brilliant surprise on your face it was it was something to behold um yeah i mean like we're saying like you know covid permitting um there they, they, they could be some british shows coming soon so i'm hoping summer yeah summer. i think by, by summer we should be fine but yeah we'll certainly see but anyway that is all we've got time for on this edition of the rest of the podcast thank you all so much for listening pete and andy will be back tomorrow with the smackdown review and then it's back to me and oliver davis uh for doing the raw review next tuesday but until then take care i love you goodbye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.